In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 23, verse 23, through the end of chapter 24. During these verses, we're going to follow the Apostle Paul through a series of dramatic trials as he fearlessly stands up for the way in front of Felix, who is the governor. He is standing up against those who accuse him of being a terrorist. And so we follow Paul from Jerusalem's tumultuous courtrooms to Caesarea's halls of power. That's all in our chapters today. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, August 29th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. As always, Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions, with this S on the end, missions.org. But without any further ado, to this morning we have the Reverend Gregory Alms. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland. Good morning, Pastor, and welcome back to the program. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. It's always a always a pleasure. I always enjoy it. Thanks. For well, it was great to have you on. Yeah, last time you were on with me, anyway. I think we were in Judges or something like that. I'm not. Yes, I think that's sure. right. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad to have you for this text. You know, Paul is, uh, he has been going through quite the trials, literally, ever since having been set up after he arrived and they asked him to go through the Jewish uh, purity ritual he did for the sake of his weaker brothers, uh, for the sake of ministering to Jewish Christians. He went through this, but uh, people use it against him and were threatening to, well, they said they wouldn't eat until he was dead. So um, catch us up uh, before we get into our text today. Where have we been? Yes, yes. Well, it is, uh, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a movie, these these few chapters, you know, before uh, uh, Paul goes off uh, to Rome, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he ends his his third missionary journey goes to Jerusalem and, um, you know, he's, he's trying to do his best and, and he wants to, uh, you know, to be able to speak the gospel to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And as you said, he purifies himself, goes to the temple, speaks, but, um, the Jews just get more and more in an uproar and, uh, you know, strange sort of twist to the story, the Roman tribune, the Roman soldier, um, saves him a couple of times from the Jews, his own countrymen, and 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 he would say his co-religionists, I mean, he shares. He Paul feels like he is a, a, a true Jewish person, son of Israel, and it's the Roman uh, pagan who saves him, and the Jews have this plot where they bind themselves together with a vow not to eat till they kill him, and Paul's nephew uh, gets wind of this and kind of, and, and, so the Romans kind of come to the rescue again. So he's in the custody of the of the Roman government uh, as you know as our text uh, begins. Uh, the 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 uh, Tribune is 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 keeping him, and so yeah, been quite a ride. And Paul being persecuted for the faith by his own by the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, really. 
Well, I think that catches us up pretty good. So um, I do want to get into our text for this morning, but before we do, it's probably a good idea for us to start off with prayer. Brother, please uh, lead us in that prayer this morning. Sure, sure. Uh, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you called uh, St. Paul uh, to be uh, your servant, to be your child. Uh, you saved him by grace through your son Jesus and, and made him to be a witness to many. Um, and we pray that, that we might rejoice and, and give thanks for that same grace that you have given us, that you have made us children, and that your Holy Spirit leads us to be witnesses, uh, probably not in the same dramatic way as Paul in the book of Acts, um, but we have opportunities uh, to witness to you, uh, to point to Christ who saves us from our sin. Uh, we pray as we study your word today that we might be ever more sure of the grace and mercy of your Son, Jesus, and that through your Holy Spirit, uh, that we might give witness in our own circumstances uh, and point uh, to our Savior. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, for context's sake, I'm going to start way back in verse 16. So this is going to be Acts 23, verse 16 and following. Here we go from the ESV. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and he entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. So the tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him, but do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him. They've bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they've killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Now our text today begins with 23. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued them, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. And I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, and on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. Now I'm going to pause right there. It's the end of verse uh, 33, so <clears throat> just a couple more verses left till the end of this chapter. But So we see here where this... Um, this Claudius, who is the tribune, is trying to protect Paul 
what is the motivation here? Is it because Paul's a Roman citizen? Is it because he's been convinced of the way? Why do you think that Claudius uh, Lysias here is, is so keen on protecting this this guy? I mean, wouldn't it be better off just to give in to the mob? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of these sort of, you know, in the in the bigger picture, you know, of the scriptures, it's, you know, and we think about it, it's uh, this the story is, 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 is interesting, as I mentioned before. I mean, it's it's if you kind of think of it, it's kind of upside down or the Roman government, uh, you know, eventually uh, is going to be putting Christians to death and and persecuting. But here, this Roman uh, tribune, a Roman soldier uh, commander is is protecting Paul. So, you know, it's an excellent question. Why? Um you know, and, and, and we need to be realistic. Back in chapter 22, I mean, this tribune um, grabbed Paul. Uh, you know, again, there was a riot developing there in Jerusalem, and he grabbed him and did bring him to safety, but was about to flog him to figure out, you know, what's what's going on here and, and, and to try to get the truth in the sort of barbaric Roman way that they did by flogging him. And 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 Paul immediately pipes up and says, "I'm a Roman citizen," which you know, Roman citizens were not flogged. So the Tribune is not, you know, he's not totally sort of, uh, you know, just really, really, really concerned about Paul's safety. I think the fact that he's a Roman citizen, number one. I think number two, there's so much uproar. The Jews, Jewish leaders, are bringing so much clamor and dissension and. Um, that that he's, I think he's just trying to keep Paul uh, out of the way, and he's trying to keep keep the peace. And and by by getting Paul out of this situation, by by protecting him, he's you know he's kind of uh, keeping a, a lid on the um, on this uh, uproar and 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 riots that are developing around him. So I think I, I, I there's no evidence in the text that he has become a Christian or anything. I, I, that would be a stretch for me. But I do think, number one, he's a Roman citizen. So he kind of has to treat him in a certain way. And number two, I think he's just he's trying to keep the peace. But but, but he does quite well. And it is, you know, it's it's very interesting how much uh, he does for Paul in these in these verses. Well, you know, this seemed to be one of the n- number one, I guess, j- functions of a j- of one of the governors or a leader or a magistrate or a centurion. Like the number one directive to anybody in charge in the Roman Empire seemed to be to keep the peace. <laughs> and and a yeah. lot of the conflict that we see the Romans have with Jesus or the Romans have with the Jews, um, in some cases the Jews have with Jesus, is that the peace isn't being kept. And with a heavy hand... They definitely wanted to make sure that the peace was kept above all things. And first of all, that must have been exhausting from a logistics point of view for them always to be just, you know, basically bringing in the soldiers and exercising the nuclear option every time there was a riot. But that's how they kept their control for so long. And so, yeah, he's definitely interested in Paul because he's a Roman citizen. I agree with you. I actually maybe would argue that keeping the peace would be even number one. Like that's just like the number one thing that it seems like all Roman government officials want to do. But when he, when he gives, when he gives the governor this letter though, he explains the fact that he's a Roman citizen and that he's really technically not done anything wrong. I think that's, 
that's part of it too. There's a sense of justice. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with everything that you said. That That's right, keeping the peace. And and we certainly see that, you know, uh, in, in Pontius Pilate dealing with, you know, with Jesus at his trial, Pontius Pilate, you know, I think one of the verses in one of the Gospels said, you know, seeing that a riot was about to develop, you know, Pilate just kind of threw up his hands. So, right. I mean, it, that, that's always there, the Romans' uh, motivation, because, you know, if a, if, a, if a country's in rebellion or in uproar or, you know, then the Romans are going to have to devote even more resources, you know, to putting down the rebellion, sending soldiers. And what the Romans wanted was, you know, they wanted their taxes. You know, they wanted uh, the, these countries were subdued and were were conquered in order to support Rome. So if there is disorder and, um, you know, violence in the streets, you know, the Romans purpose is frustrated. So they, yeah, they definitely want to keep the peace. It's, and, you know, and we kind of look at this theologically and, you know, it's so interesting that, uh, and, and we see this in different places in the scripture, but you know, God is using this Roman government with totally pagan, totally Gentile, I mean, government to operation, but using it, God is using it to protect Paul and to, and, and God is working out his purposes for Paul. Um, and this Claudius Lysias, and as we're going to see in a little bit, Felix, the, the governor, you know, they don't, they're not Christians, but God is using them. We might even call them an evil government. I mean, they were, um, but God is using them to to accomplish good. And so behind it all is is the hand of the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth and, and the God of all history is, is working out his purposes. Yeah, and it's interesting too, to me anyway, about how this uh, this leader, the local leader, the tribune, is sending Paul down here, and he says pretty clearly in verse 30, And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers to also state before you what they have against him. So he's protecting Paul in the sense that he's, I guess, offering him the rights that are due his citizenship, something that I think is uh, a, a lot more valuable to people at this time than maybe we understand it today. But this idea that they're going to, I mean, it's, it's sort of like this, you know, in order to res, in order to have the populace respect their authority, they obviously have to respect the citizenship that they give to people or sell to people or however people obtain it. Well, anyway, so he wants to stand up for him, but he's basically sending them to this mediator to the governor. He's elevating the, the cause here and as you so rightly pointed out, God's using all of this. So, so Paul is going through the system. He's not necessarily bucking against the system or rebelling against the system. Um, in fact, I think he's using the system very intentionally to be able to continue to have higher and higher, uh, let's say, leaders to be able to witness in front of. I mean, just if you were Paul in this situation, you, if I were Paul in this situation, I would be miserable of of having to defend myself and to be brought up on trumped up charges and to be persecuted and beaten. And I'm sure Paul is miserable about those things, but I think he also sees them as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And I, I think there's a lesson for us in that too. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, you know, uh, I think the Lord had told Paul on at least a couple of occasions, um, 
you know, that he was going to testify before kings and, and rulers. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, even in his conversion story back in chapter nine of Acts, he said, you know, uh, you know, that, that Paul would carry, carry God's name, Jesus' name and, and witness before the Gentile, you know, to the Gentiles and to kings. And so, you know, here it is. I mean, God had said, Paul, I'm, you know, uh, he was Saul then, you know, I, he, he blinds him on the Damascus road. He brings him to faith. And, he, and, and one of the reasons is, you know, you're going to be my witness to Gentiles and to kings. And here it is, you know, chapter 23. Uh, and, and that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's here uh, witnessing before the kings and, and God is, God is working that out. Um, and, you know, uh, it's interesting, in, 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 and I'm sure you guys went over this in previous episodes, but, you know, in chapter 23, verse 11, the Lord appears to Paul and says, as you have testified, you know, to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You know, so it's God's will and purpose that Paul go to Rome. I mean, and so Luke tells us, I mean, the Lord told that to Paul in chapter 23, and Luke tells us, and as we're reading the story, you know, all of these different things are happening, these plots, the Jewish opposition, but we know that the Lord is bringing Paul to Rome, um, and so that he's going to be there in the center of the Roman Empire, giving witness, preaching the gospel, and so God is using all of these different things um, uh, to accomplish his purpose, and, and I think, you know, just to go on a bit, you know, there's lesson for us too. You know, we don't have our, you know, we're living our life and we don't always know, you know, what the road is looks like up around the bend, but, you know, God has his purposes and even the bad things, like you said, if I was Paul, this would be driving me crazy, but, you know, the Lord's working it out and it's same for us. We don't always know what's, what's going on, but the Lord is, is, is working out his purposes, even through the bad things and the evil things that happen to us. Yeah. He tells Paul that you're going to stand before Kings. You're going to Rome. I, I wonder if at any point Paul imagined that he would be doing these things as a guest of honor. You get what I'm saying? Like we think of, well, yeah. if we have to stand before Kings to, you know, to state our case or to proclaim the hope that we have within us, uh, proclaim the gospel, whatever we have to do. And we're like, wow, we're going to, we're going to have to do that before Kings and before rulers and princes. And yeah, but nowhere does it say you're going to the guest of honor, you know? And here we right. have Paul, he's being brought before Kings, but in chains. Um, and I yeah, think so he, under, he understands that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's excellent. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I mean, we might often, we might visualize, you know, a state dinner, you know, we're going to have this wonderful thing where, yeah, we're going to be the guest of honor. And, but, but yeah, no, I mean, he's that way. No, not exactly. Well, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to actually go back to 31 and go through the end of the chapter. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. Upon reading the letter... He asked what province he was from, and when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, okay, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Okay, so uh, as we uh, have about 10 minutes before our break, I want to kind of continue to cover the rest of this chapter before moving on. 
And so there's quite a bit even in this little section. So they come, they deliver the letter to the governor, and he reads it, of course. But then he asks him, what province are you from? Now, I know this is not probably <laughs> important to the message, but I assume he's doing this to kind of test Paul to see if he's a if he's a citizen. Because I've always wondered, you know, they don't exactly carry ID. Anybody could just claim to be a citizen. So when Paul invokes his citizenship, everybody seems to take it very seriously. And I always just wondered, well, how do they know he's not? lying but anyway so you think maybe this is part of it he's wants to hear his accent wants to hear what he knows and what he says yeah i think so and it's hard to know and you're right i mean i don't know nobody's carrying around driver's licenses you know you know uh tsa pre-check to check their identity and and yeah i mean earlier the the tribune kind of takes paul's word for it and here I don't know if uh, Felix, who is this governor, um, you know, if he's testing his his identity and his citizenship. I think that's that's probably part of it, and and also maybe his his jurisdiction. You know, does does Felix have jurisdiction over him as a prisoner? You know, is remember when Pilate wanted? You know, when Pilate heard that Jesus was a a Galilean, you know, he he tried to pawn him off on on uh, that. King Herod back in the in the crucifixion scene. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting um, how they would verify that. And 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 um, as he asks him, you know, where where is he from? And and he acquiesces. You know, I'll give you a hearing. Um, so he and it could be the accent. That's a pretty good pretty good guess. Well, and you know, I think it's interesting because we we think about him being before the governor. And we think about how um, just the way the world worked back then. Uh, People may not know this, but Felix, the governor at this time when Paul comes in, and he's not going to be governor for much longer. We talked earlier about how they cared about keeping the peace above all things. Well, evidently, Felix wasn't very good at keeping the peace. He ends up being replaced um, in just a couple of years, actually. But um, on top of that, I just wanted to mention that he used to be a slave. Felix was originally a slave who then made his way up to procurator of Judea. So that's uh, it, it, when we talk about slaves and servants and stuff in the New Testament, I do think it's important that people understand that the the culture, the time period is a little different. Uh, just a little tidbit for you guys out there. But we, we have here, we have him um, has someone who has been uh, without citizenship and now is obviously with citizenship and he's, Governor, governing, governing the area, trying to keep the peace. He brings up Paul, and I think you're right. I think he's trying to pawn it off, but he's gonna like, all right. Well, where are you from? Oh, Cilicia. Okay, fine. I'll I'll hear what your accusers have to say. But then right. he orders him orders him to be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. Um, explain to the listeners what a what a Praetorium is. Well, um, I mean, I think. Um, it is the um, the ruling palace and place of the Roman governor. I think, if I'm uh, not mistaken, we uh, Pilate had one. In fact, in in Jerusalem when we, when we heard about Jesus, so there in Caesarea, which is the headquarters of the Roman government in Judea, including over Jerusalem, uh, but the Roman governor didn't spend all his time in Jerusalem, but in Caesarea, which is 
uh, as you can see from the name, named after uh, the, the Roman emperor, Caesar, Caesarea. So the Praetorium is the governing house, uh, the place where the Roman government uh, sits. And it's also interesting, you, you know, Felix being a slave and, and, you know, Felix, we don't know too terribly much about him, but we know some. But, of course, the office he's occupying, a Roman governor, is the same office that Pontius Pilate uh, occupied. It's the Roman governor of Judea. Um, and so there's a little hint here, I think, in the story of Paul in going through these chapters. I mean, it's, of course, not an exact analogy, but there is a little hint in here of Paul suffering and Paul following in the footsteps of Jesus. That, and when, So that just as Jesus was brought before you know, the Jewish council, uh, you know, the Sanhedrin, and, and Paul had to face the Jewish accusers. And just here, as Jesus was brought before the Roman governor, so Paul is brought before the Roman governor. So I think there's a little bit of this sense that, that Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus. Of course, not an exact match, but, you know, just as, you know, Paul's called to follow Jesus and to witness to Jesus, he's he was also Paul— the Lord told him when he converted him in, in the beginning of his life, of his ministry, you know, you're going to suffer for my name. And and he's suffering and, and, and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. I find that it's, it's very interesting. Oh, indeed. Absolutely. I mean, I think the connection here is clear. I don't believe, however, Luke is trying to force the connection. I think he's just observing the connection right yeah. he's observing right, right. how these, these things are happening in the same pattern that they happened to our lord jesus um i'll give you a hearing when your accusers arrive he says and commanded him to be guarded in herod's praetorium as you said yeah the praetorium is like the governor's house and this one's called herod's because it was built by herod although of course living there is um mr felix right the governor so uh in verse Let's go to chapter 24, uh, verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one to Turles. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus or Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Now, I'm not going to get into what he says because we're going to save that till after the break. And we're going to go actually all the way through chapter 24. Uh, but Ananias comes down, he brings some elders and he brings this Tertullus, Tertullus, however you want to say it, but they bring basically a lawyer <laughs> with them. They bring a Rhaetor with them. Um, who's probably a Jew, although he has a Roman name here. Uh, but yeah, so they're they're ready to lay out their case against Paul. Uh, anything that the people should think about while we take a break, brother? No, I think, yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean, you put your finger on it. Tertullus is a, he, he's a lawyer, and, and, and we kind of get this sense, and we're going to get it in the next chapter, that, you know, the, Paul's Jewish opponents are very well prepared. They're very, uh, they know the system. Uh, we're going to hear in the way they speak that, you know, they're very persuasive and, you know, they have a lawyer and uh, to speak for them and to who he may he may be Jewish or he may be just, you know, Roman guy they hired. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but, um, you know, uh, 
he he knows the system and he speaks for them. And on the other side, you have just Paul, right? Just Paul, who is speaking and witnessing, even as he's here in this courtroom, you know, he can't help himself, but uh, talk about Jesus and the resurrection and, you know, what he's all about. And so, yeah, it's a big, it's a contrast. And um, uh, as you say, and Luke's not pressing, he's not making it up, but he's, he's saying, look, this, as this happened, you know, it was, it was two very different sides on the one hand and then and on just Paul called by God to be a witness and he's doing his thing, doing being a witness. Well, it makes you wonder all the opportunities that God gives us, both good and bad, to be a witness. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to hear some messages, but when we come back, Pastor Alms and I will pick back up where we left off. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. With me this morning is the Reverend Gregory Alms. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland. Friends, it's always a blessing to be in God's Word, and I'm especially blessed to have you with us this morning as we study the book of Acts. Remember, you can reach me by email at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I love hearing from you. You can just drop a note to say hi, or you can ask a question. Uh, if you do reach out, though, let me know how you listen to the show. Right? Do you listen over the air in St. Louis? Are you listening as a podcast or online or on demand at KFUO.org? Maybe you use the KFUO radio app. Let me know when you write in. Love to hear how you're connecting. Uh, Pastor Alms, before the break, we were just getting into basically the accusations against Paul. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and just continue where we left off. And this is going to be Tertullus. He is going to be um, laying out his case before Felix, starting with verse, well, actually, it looks like we're in the middle of verse 2. Since through you we enjoy peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming 
that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, and that's right, we're going to take another pause. So we're going to get into Paul's response here in a moment, but let's start with this. And in fact, it was very brief, but this very brief um, um, charge, uh, indictment against Paul. Uh, take us through it. I mean, beginning way up with all the, with all the uh, flattery that they start their argument off with. Yes, and and you know you had told, called uh, Tertullus earlier a, a rhetorician, a, a, a man um, acquainted with and you know using the arts of rhetoric, trained in public speaking, and and I think we can see that here. I mean, I think he was a lawyer, but lawyers were and uh, used rhetoric all the time, and they were almost uh, in in certain sense interchangeable. But um, and so he's you know it's very much a, a flattering sort of uh, stereotypical speech, you know, um, piling on these, um, compliments, uh, to Felix, uh, sort of buttering them up. We might say we enjoy much peace, uh, most excellent Felix, uh, reforms and all of, uh, the saying. And, and I think you had mentioned earlier, you know, it's kind of ironic because, uh, Felix wasn't that great of a governor. And, uh, in fact, you know, made a mess of things and it's not too far later. And I think Felix has to blame for some of this that, you know, the Jews would be in full scale revolt, you know, and um, by the year 70, you know, Jerusalem would have to be flattened. The Romans would have to make a huge investment in, in putting down this revolt. So, you know, to hear uh, this lawyer, uh, this speech maker, Tertullus, you know, kind of pile on these uh, nice adjectives is, you know, from the, from the vantage point of history, it's it's a little ironic and a little much uh, for him to be uh, uh, speaking this but, way about Felix. But don't we do the same thing today? I remember. Oh, sure. When I first lived in Minnesota, um, I had I wrote a letter to my senator, and I had to write the words to the Honorable Al Franken. So you know, I'm not. <laughs> I think we, I think we do the the oh, same kind of stuff today. And of course, they did in the Middle Ages too. Just read our confessions. You know, oh, magnificent August. You know, Emperor Charles V and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's also, right. you know, it's part of the game. It's part of the process. It's also showing honor where honor is due. Um, even though, like you said, history will show that he gets he gets uh, replaced pretty quickly. But um, yeah, but yeah, they're they're laying this out. But look at the first charge too. The first charge is he stirs up riots. Boy, that was just they were very afraid of this. Yeah, that's that's that same theme that we were we were noticing when speaking about uh, in the first half of the show that the the Romans were allergic, you know, to to disturbances and uh, and uh, uh, riots and so forth and. As we said, I mean, in a few short years, you know, it's going to happen in in large scale. But uh, just as a political matter, you know, just as a governing matter, it's just much easier if you don't have to continually be putting these things down. And so, you know, uh, the Jewish leaders and the lawyer here is is pushing the buttons that they know are going to get the um, the Romans upset. It's the same thing that. You know, when Jesus was accused, uh, you know, they were pushing Pontius Pilate's um, buttons. You know, Jesus says he's a king and, 
you know, which, you know, put up the specter of Jewish independence and revolt. So as we all do, and anyone does, they're, they're just trying to find and speak in the way that's going to get them the best hearing. And so, you know, stirring up riots and uh, throughout all the world. And of course, um, Paul had encountered much opposition. Um, as with a lot of things, there's a, a grain of truth. I mean, uh, we would argue, and, and I think rightly, that it wasn't Paul stirring up the riots, but, you know, those who were opposed to the gospel and and those who wanted to, to silence Paul. But Paul had indeed, where Paul went, there were, you know, you read the book of Acts, and there were people who were upset with him, there was disorder. So, you know, it's that tiny little grain of truth, which they've twisted. I mean, Paul wasn't the one really stirring up the riots. Um, but, you know, he's he's trying to be, uh, do a good job and be effective and get Paul uh, put away. You know, I'm I'm far from an expert in uh, first century, you know, legal theory. But one of the things that stands out to me is that their approach is somewhat interesting. So from what I do know, the reason why they're emphasizing these riots and disturbances, although that's ironic too, right? Because they're the ones who are causing them. <laughs> but anyway, so they, they emphasize these things, but it's it's to make it the problem of the governor. It's to make it the problem of the Romans. Because it, as we've seen, if it's determined that the issue is just some sort of religious issue amongst themselves, then the Romans allow them some sort of self-governance, kind of like a an Indian reservation. So they're allowed to exercise some of their own authority against their own people. But uh, so, but they're trying to make it the Romans' fault. And the reason why I think this is a curious legal approach is because it seems to me that if they were just to say, "Listen, this is just a religious issue; we'll take care of it," the Romans would be happy to do that. But they don't want them. They want the Romans to do the dirty work for some reason. So they're always trying to stir up the Romans against the way or the Christians in this case. Um, yeah, yeah, it's. I think that's just an interesting approach. And may, maybe you have some insight. Maybe you have a thought. Yeah, no, I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, the Romans could care less about Jewish purity laws or whether Paul thought Jesus was the Messiah or even as Paul obviously is going to be passionate about in a minute of the resurrection of the dead, the Romans could care less about all those things. But what they do care about is keeping the peace. So you're exactly right. They're they're trying to make this a matter about which the Romans care so they uh, Romans will do what the Jews want, which is to get rid of Paul, um, whether put him to death or whatever it is. Um, I think I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, and they do kind of bring up an internal Jewish thing. He tried to profane the temple, which, you know, again, the Romans don't care about that. But, you know, the fact that he's profaning the temple is very, if, if it was true, uh, would be very, very upsetting to the Jews. And, and that would be of concern to the to the Romans, because they just want the Jews to to be quiet, practice their religion, get along. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think you're exactly right. And I would imagine that the temple, though it has very little to no religious significance for the Romans, I, I have a feeling that it has a very um, a hefty economic significance on Jerusalem yeah, sure. with all those festivals and all those people coming in. So, you know, I think they're happy to— uh, it, they're happy to have the, the, the temple in terms of a tourist attraction, but they couldn't care less 
Uh, but Paul is getting ready to uh, make his case. Uh, verse 10, I'm going to repeat, and it says, When the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. Here's what Paul says. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. And having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and present offerings. And while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Okay, so we're going to pause there. Actually, the good place to pause since Paul stops talking. So we have this, and, and I don't know if this is everything Paul said or if, Luke is summing it up for us. He's giving the highlights. I, I, I've always wondered about that because there's oftentimes you think there's got to be more things that were said or done, and, and naturally there were. But anyway, what's included at the very least is that Paul, his response to the accusation is to focus like on on both on both charges. One, I wasn't stirring up any troubles, at least when they caught me. It seems to be what he's saying. And two, I'm still respecting our religion. Um, and they, this is really a religious issue. Paul seems to be making the case. Um, is that how you would see it? Or maybe you have some better insights? No, no, I think you're exactly right. I mean, just on the, um, you know, it begins just on the truthfulness of the claims, right? I mean, that that they're essentially making false claims against him, right? And this is a, a, a court of law, Roman law, and 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 he's being falsely accused. Uh, they can't prove it, he says in verse 13. Um, I wasn't disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, verse 12. You know, again, that's this, what largely this is about. Is Paul a troublemaker? Is he... Is he a, a threat to uh, security, a threat to, you know, a, you know, Roman peace and, and keeping the peace? He's saying in verse 12, well, that's not true. They can't prove this is a false accusation. He says in verse 11, you can verify, you know, these things. And so, yeah, I mean, he's he's defending himself. And then it kind of ties in because, you know, um, you know, the Romans are quite happy for the Jews to be Jews. I mean, they just want them to, to, they're not trying to make the Jews into Romans. They want the Jews to have their own religion and to be happy with it. And he's saying in verse uh, 14 and, and following that, um, you know, I'm acting as a, as a, as a Jew. I, I was coming back to my homeland. I was going to present an offering, you know, in verse 17, uh, 
he was purified when he went into the temple, no crowd, no tumult, so that I was acting as a good Jew. Uh, you know, he doesn't um, deny that uh, he belongs to the way, uh, but he's saying that this way, which they call a sect, which, not to get off the subject too much, which is just an interesting little word, which in Greek is literally heresy. And so, you know, it's a Jewish heresy according to them, but I was doing all of these things as being a good Jew. All I was doing is going to the temple. I wasn't profaning it. Um, you know, so he's, he's, he's making his defense, I think, in his own way, appealing to Roman ears, right? I mean, number one, I'm being falsely accused. Number two, I'm, I'm a peaceful man, uh, not stirring up trouble. And number three, I'm a good Jew. And, and you guys want good Jews who, who, who are... Who are who are content to do the Jewish things? This is what uh, I, I was doing, uh, and so he's he's making a a, a reasonable defense before uh, the governor. He is making a very reasonable and in terms of reasoned and also uh, you know very respectful defense. I, verse twenty and twenty one, he says, you know, basically they weren't there when the thing happened that they're accusing me of. The only thing they can prove is and this he says let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when i stood before the council implying that there isn't any other than this one thing that i cried out while standing among them it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that i'm on trial before you this day so paul ends his defense or luke ends his summary of paul's defense with the emphasis that at least this is how i read it that look at the end of the day there were no riots this is nothing to do with you. This is all about an internal matter between us. Maybe I'm just emphasizing it too much, but I see the Jews trying to get the Romans involved and Paul basically saying there's no need to get involved. This is a religious matter. Uh, basically, they're only mad because we disagreed on a religious point. I'm, I'm not sure what the motivation yeah. is there, but that's how I see it going down. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and uh, you know Paul had uh, brought up uh, you know when he was before the council in chapter 23, you know he brought up the resurrection, you know, and and sparked this Pharisee Sadducee thing, and um, yeah, I mean I think he is trying to um, uh, to to keep it to say look this is this is a religious matter, this is a spiritual matter, this is a Jewish thing. I'm a, a good Jew. And, uh, you know, I'm witnessing to the resurrection. This is the thing that is, uh, that is central to me and, 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 and that this is at the center of this dispute, which, you know, has nothing to do with you guys, right? I mean, they're the ones making false accusations. They're the ones, and he mentions these Jews from Asia who he pinpoints as the troublemakers. He says, they're the ones who started the rioting. I mean, it's, you know, verse eight, the end of verse 18, right. you know, he says, I was purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but then these Jews from Asia came and they're the ones who made the trouble and they should really be, if, if I'm in trouble, you know, if I have done something, it's, you know, they should be here testifying to whatever it is that they were making a big deal about. Um, and so he is um, moving it. Uh, away from a Roman sort of thing into a purely internal Jewish question. I see Paul 
using the process, um, honoring the government that's established above him, even though in this case it's an occupying government. And he goes, I guess he, he follows the rules is what I want to say. Um, I think this speaks a lot to us today as we encounter people who will be raising up false charges against us, you know, both figuratively and literally perhaps. And we're having to defend ourselves as Christians. The question is, you know, when we have disagreements amongst one another, to what extent do we involve the secular court system? And the other question is, when we're caught up in the secular court system, you know, how much do we submit to that rule over us, especially if it involves religious issues? So so it's kind of a complicated question, but the point is, what has the government to do with our religious disputes today? Do you think we could... We're, we're being taught anything from this passage, or do you have an idea about that? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question, and and the Bible says the New Testament says various things about this. I mean, there's some strong passages in Corinthians about not taking lawsuits outside the church. On the other hand, I think this is a this whole the whole story of Paul. I mean, he's already appealed that he's a Roman citizen. Uh, in chapter 25, he's going to, uh, and so that ro- he he invokes his Roman citizenship for his own advantage in the legal system as a protection. So, uh, and then in chapter 25, he's going to appeal to Caesar, which is another mechanism in the Roman system of justice, which he avails himself of. So, there is no sin in, and so there is no sin necessarily not. Uh, ipso facto, not, not in, it, in and of itself, there is not a sin to use governmental structures um, for your benefit and if you're involved in a legal situation, right? I mean, I think that's clear. I mean, and, you know, we could bring in Romans 13 here, you know, the government uh, is uh, set up by God. I mean, um, you know, no authority that's been set up has been set up except it comes from God. The Roman, you know, government is God's servant to do to do good and punish wrong. So as Christians, we are not absolutely forbidden to use the government. It's not evil in and of itself. I think that, at the very least, uh, is, is a lesson from Paul. Now, we, we it can get more it is more complicated than that uh, when it comes to spiritual matters uh, within the Christian church and so but I think that we we need not burden ourselves with saying we don't have to be to be we don't have to be like the Amish to make a you know a, maybe a silly comparison I mean it's not wrong it's not evil to be involved in the in the justice system or to use the justice system uh, as protection. God put it there for our protection. We can use it. It's it's a part of the civil sphere. Now we don't want to bring spiritual matters before the the courts. That's that's another thing. But it may be in some of these thorny issues which arise in the church um, that aren't necessarily spiritual or theological that we do uh, unfortunately have to use the, the the civil justice system, and it's complicated. Yeah, it is. But no, I think that's an excellent response. Well, let's keep on going, though, because we're running out of time and we have just a little bit left. Verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribute comes down, I will decide your case. 
Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. All right, so just taking a moment, uh, Felix, he seems, we don't know how, but he seems to have a little bit of knowledge about these so-called Christians, the way. Um, and so he's, I guess he's stalling for time. He says, well, why don't we wait till this tribute comes down? Um, anything about that you want the folks to know before I finish the chapter? No, I didn't realize we're running out of time. We talk too much. Um, <laughs> That's okay. It's these are interesting. Yeah, these are interesting verses. So, no, I mean, the way is an interesting um, thing in the book of Acts, which really begins with Paul. Um, and we don't really know where it comes from, but that's just shorthand for the Christian church. And he is stalling. Felix thing is going to be stalling. I mean, and he's stalling here and he's going to continue to stall as we see at the end of the chapter. After some yes. days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him and conversed with him often. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Yeah, so Felix is... Um, kind of run out of town and by Festus. Now, Festus only lasts two years, three years himself, but he's run out of town, according to Josephus and others, because, well, he didn't really do a great job keeping the peace. Uh, but yeah. interestingly enough, on his way out, he doesn't pardon Paul, as you might expect. Um, he leaves him in prison, tries to appease the crowds one more time on his way out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting little paragraph, and, and it's Felix comes across both um, in a negative way and sort of in a positive way. He seems to be teetering. I mean, he's, he's, he seems to be genuinely interested in the faith, and his wife is Jewish, Drusilla. Um, and, you know, he's reasoning about righteousness, self-control, and he's alarmed. It's almost as if he realizes he's being attracted to the faith. Perhaps we're reading too much in that. Um, and so that's sort of a positive image of him. But then, you know... He's waiting, you know, and, and with his other hand, he's got his hand out. He wants to get bribed, which is, you know, he wants. And then he just throws him in prison and continues to visit with him, but doesn't uh, let him out. He just lets him sit there for, for two years. And then, you know, he leaves and, and just leaves him there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's we get a, a rounded picture of him, I think. I think also, just humanly speaking, Paul was probably not all that important to Felix. I mean, he's this prisoner in there. For us, you know, Paul is a very central part of his story. But for Felix, you know, he's got lots of other things going on. And from his human individual point of view, you know, Paul is not all that important. And so he just sits there. And, and you know, I think he may have just, you know, he does converse with him every now and again. But he's, he's a little bit forgotten, I think, Paul is in the whole rush of things going on. And that's such an important point for people to remember, and I, I like it when guests and I try to bring this up too, that from a lot of these other people's points of view, this is just another day at work or another day being governor, yeah. or another day, you know, it, it to us it has so much meaning and significance, but I, I just, I, I the reason why I bring that up is because we live in a world today where everybody's just going about their lives and you don't know what 
what God is using to be impactful on the future and the faith and other people. Well, that's bringing us to the end of our program. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Gregory Alms. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in uh, Catonsville, Maryland. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Nice conversation. It's always good to to uh, to read the scripture and study together. I hope to talk to you soon. Folks, tomorrow in chapter 25, Paul is brought before the new Roman governor, Festus, and people continue to oppose Paul, so he appeals to his Roman citizenship. We'll find out about that and more tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>